Welcome to the Psychological Society of Ireland, the PSI podcast, where we bring you interesting and hopefully entertaining and informative podcasts about a myriad of topics. This time we're talking about anxiety in children and our expert guest is Mark Smith from the Psychological Society of Ireland. Mark, let's start at the beginning. Anyone who's listening to this probably has an interest in the area. So can you describe what anxiety is? This is probably the the best question you could have asked because anxiety is an emotion and it's an emotion like every other emotion that we experience. So happiness, anger, sadness, frustration. It is an emotion. But the difference between anxiety and the others is it has a really specific um, and big physiological impact on our body. So when we get really anxious about something, our body gets activated. So our heart beats a little bit faster. We breathe a little bit harder. Our, our legs might shake. Our muscles might tense up. So our body gets ready to fight or to, to run away. So we feel it more than any other thing. And that's a good thing. And, and I, I, I meet with people all the time about difficulties with anxiety. And sometimes mm. they come to say, well, look, what's your goal for coming to me? I don't want to feel anxious anymore. So yeah. that's going to be quite tough because that's like saying, I don't want to feel ha- happy or I don't want to feel sad. It's a normal emotion. Did it come about from when we were first around and it was the fight or flight kind of thing? Absolutely. So it's a protective, safe response. It's our early warning radar system. It lets us know when we think there's danger around. And when there's danger, we get ready to protect ourselves or to run away. The difference now is that we don't need to worry about running away from large animals we don't Mm. worry about that physical sense of danger the problem now is that it's mostly around social judgement and worry about what people think of us Right. so we're surrounded by people all day every day so we can't get away from it but the analogy that that I I like to use is if you think about Dublin Airport and you think of the radar system so what that does that scans for airplanes and it's calibrated so it only finds airplanes so most of the time they're going to be a good distance apart doesn't feel too overwhelming and we don't get anxious and panicky about it now, if a little gremlin or, or a virus or something gets into the system and instead of being calibrated for airplanes, it finds birds. So suddenly your radar screen is covered with danger everywhere and you don't know what's a bird, what's a plane, and all you want to do is get away from it. So for lots of people that, that I would see, they're, they're always active. They're always seeing danger all around them. And it's exhausting, constantly thinking about the worst case scenario, about catastrophes and what anxiety does when it gets into your brain that way is it makes you think that this bad thing is always going to happen all the time every day all around you so imagine what that's like for someone glass half, half empty 24-7 oh not even half empty practically empty <clears> glass hasn't, you, even, you, you, hasn't even been put in front not of you. at all and you're <laughs> always seeing danger and you're also so there's kind of two things that happens we've got that physical reaction like I was talking about mm-hmm. we've got the heart beating faster the shortness of breath that typical panic attack type description but on top of that you've got your thoughts and, you know, when I have these conversations with young people in particular, I say, look, tell me about your what if thoughts. And they look at me and go, how do you know I have what if thoughts? And it's this kind of psychology thing of are you read my mind. No, mm. I'm not. But I know because that's what people come back with. So what if my mum and dad don't collect me outside school? What if I, if I get the coronavirus? What if Ukraine inv- invades Ireland? What if I get sick in school? What if the baddies come and kidnap me at night time? So all of the thoughts start with what if this really bad thing happens? And when their body is activated like that, it makes them think that the belief is definitely going to happen. Why do people think that way in the first place? But everything they think is a is a what if. And most of these things are just never going to happen. Now, that's the piece. Everything that people are, are, are kind of scared about or anxious about is technically possible, mm. just unlikely. Yeah. And that's why reassurance doesn't work. So as parents, as adults, we come in and we try and reassure the young person that 
don't be worrying about that and that typical Irish phrase of it'll be grand, be grand yeah. it'll be grand mm. so from two two perspectives on that one the child internally their heart is pounding they can't breathe they're they're absolutely terrified and the parent says it'll be grand they don't That's feel not work. well they don't feel <clears throat> grand yeah so yeah. It, what it does is there's a disconnect between the the young person's internal experience of I don't feel grand and the parent saying it'll never happen. Now we also have to think of our news cycle at the moment. So when a child is worried about a catastrophic, bad, dangerous thing happening like a mum and dad dying or a car crash or somebody getting sick and they're really worried about it and you say, it'll be fine, it'll be fine, it'll be grand, it'll never happen. Your, your, your daily trip to school if the news is on, they're hearing about thousands of people dying from the coronavirus. They're hearing about six people dying of car crashes. Well, listen, news stations are not doing the job if they're not making Absolutely. you scared. Absolutely, and know? children will hear this yeah. news so they know that bad things happen. But what happens is when anxiety gets inside them and it really messes with their head, it makes them think that it's going to happen to them and it's going to happen every day. So they overemphasize the odds of the bad thing happening. So reassurance as a technique for reducing anxiety, especially with kids, generally doesn't work. Well, before we get on to to how to deal with it, hmm. I suppose, does the, does the child typically know that it has anxiety? No. With children, we assume as adults, we look at them and we can see they're anxious. Hmm. And we assume that they know that, that that's what they're feeling. So for lots of kids, for most kids, they need assistance with emotional labelling. So when I'm feeling a certain feeling, be that anger or sadness or anxiety, to say back to them, it looks like you're a little bit nervous. It looks like you're a little bit anxious. Because kids' language grows as they develop. We help them with it. But their emotional language is no different. So we have to explain to them, this is what happens when we get a little bit worried. And our heart will beat faster and here's what we feel like. So they internalise and go, oh, that's anxiety. Because if we don't provide them with that language, it feels so much scarier because I don't know what's going on inside my body. And we normalise it. But even as adults, we don't talk enough about us feeling nervous. We don't talk about that. Yes, mum and dad or whoever it's going to be still feel anxious too. I was giving a, a talk a little while back in my daughter's school to parents about how to manage your kid's anxiety. And my daughter was asking me about it and said, look, how do you feel? I said, oh, I'm really nervous. Said, you, you feel nervous? Of course I do. I said, you're not going to do it then. I went, no, I'm going to do it anyway. So again, it's about humanising and role modelling that we all feel anxious, mm-hmm. every one of us, but it shouldn't stop us for the most case from doing the things that we need to do. And children are becoming anxious at younger ages, some as young as, as two, two to four. Presumably it was always like that. I wasn't certainly aware of that kids that age being anxious. Well, so most of us don't remember what we felt. Well, there is that too. I thought it too. To fair, yeah. but, but it's also, it, it's developmentally normal at two to be scared. You're small. Mm. You don't, you can't protect yourself. So when you hear the noise of the doggy barking and you see the doggy running or you see something loud, it's terrifying because you're quite vulnerable. So it's actually a very protective response to show distress and anxiety about something new. We see it with stranger danger. Do I want my two and three year old to be scared of danger or scared of strangers at two? Absolutely. So it's, it's perfectly, not only normal, it's expected and helpful. And that's kind of something that we're going to keep coming back to is that anxiety, we need to change the lens of how we look at it and stop talking about it through the lens of a disorder. Um, in a small percentage of cases, when it gets into everyday life, it is. But for most, it's just an emotion that not only is protective, but sometimes can be fun. Are, are parents more protective these days which is making the children more anxious in my day you could go out on the road and and, and play and play football do whatever you wanted to do today less and less kids are doing that and if they are parents are, are you know well be careful of this be careful of that be careful of the other yeah I do think so I think parents it's tough being a parent these days mm. um, because again we're coming back to judgement so for parents if the other people see their child distressed 
they get anxious themselves thinking that someone is going to think I'm a bad parent, you know, that I'm not meeting my child's needs. And children do need to be exposed to the full range of emotions Mm. because you're right. If we wrap them up in cotton wool when they're quite small and we don't allow them to feel nervous, to feel sad, when they get to 13, 14 and they hit secondary school, they're going to be around people who will make them feel bad about but themselves. Are, are parents part of the problem where they're sending their child out but, but, but making them anxious, telling them to watch out for all these things that they don't necessarily have to watch out for? I think parents have the best of intentions. Yes. Is it helping? No. Mm. But if you're working with a parent, as I do all the time, and I say, look, this is your fault, then it doesn't empower them to be able to support them to yeah. be distressed. So you have to get that right balance between understanding where the person, the parent is coming from with good intentions but also not feeling like that they're the reason for it. Because yeah. when a young person or any person develops anxiety difficulties, you have A, B, C, D and E that leads to it, not A cause B. And the different ages have different uh, have different things, obviously, that they're anxious about. Do you want to just go through that? Yeah, so like we were saying, like with two and three-year-olds, they're afraid of the dark. They want the light left on at nighttime. They're afraid of loud noises or for dogs. And as they progress a little bit more, you start to become more kind of socially aware. Mm-hmm. So we see with, say, with primary school children, when they come to school, when mummy and daddy go to leave them at the gate or at the schoolyard, they become anxious about separation, about mum and dad, will you come back for me? Will you leave me? Will you forget me? But they also start to worry about their peers. They worry about what happens if nobody talks to me, if nobody plays with me. And one that kind of from maybe about second class up to sixth class, they become very afraid of health-related anxieties. They become afraid of getting sick. That's Mm -hmm. a really common one. From the point of view of a catastrophic, this could mean I'm really sick and I've got to go to hospital. But also as they get a little bit older, that fear of judgment. So if I get sick in that, what will my peers think of me? Will they laugh at me? Will they joke? You know, will I be made a fool of? So they're not worried about death. They're worried about their mates thinking they're an idiot. Some. Some some will go the entire way. If I get sick, it means I've got a tumour and then I've got to go to hospital (laughs) and that's where people die and I'm going to die. And, you know, they get very panicky about it. So again, when you're working with someone or exploring this with a young person, you have to go all the way to the worst case scenario. So people generally stop and reassure with, you're not going to get sick. Yeah. But it's not the the sickness, it's the judgment or I'm going to get so sick and it's a sign of a tumour and I'll die. You need to go all the way with them so that even if the worst case scenario was to happen, then there was an option. So let's take the example of I'm worried mummy and daddy are are going to forget to collect me after school Mm. and I'll be standing there all by myself and no, no, of course I'll be there on time. But we know with, with, with traffic these days, someone could get late, we're caught in work, we could be late. So it's about acknowledging that with the child and go, yes, you're right. And if I was late, what would we do next? Yeah. So do you think teachers are just going to head off home, leave you there by yourself in the schoolyard and you won't know what to do? No, of course they're not. Or, you know, the, the, the teacher in school has a number for your granny or for your auntie or for your next door neighbour who lives there who brings your friend home. So that they see that even if the worst thing happens and it's really bad, there is always an option. Might not be the perfect one. Mm. But there are options rather than avoid and panic. But that's up to parents then to make sure they make the time to do that in the first place. Yeah. And secondly, I suppose it's talking to your child, getting their, their head out of their phone so that they're communicating with you that they're anxious in the first place. Yeah, well, it's depending on the age of the child. Yeah. If you're trying to have a conversation with them and they're stuck on their phone, that's not about the child's anxiety. It's about your parenting. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, well, well, listen, in my day, it was stuck in the telly rather than the And phone. there's always something. Yeah, there is exactly. always something. This is it. But it is a normal part of childhood, though, the, the this feeling of anxiousness, isn't it? It's a normal part of the human experience. It's a normal part of me and you when we get anxious about doing something, about an event that's coming up that we have to speak of, or a job interview mm. or it's a part of our everyday experience and, but we forget about the times that we get anxious because we don't recognise that the physical feeling we're having 
is actually the same as if we're panicking. So mm. I'll give you two particular examples. Halloween. So in the run up to Halloween, what happens? People enjoy it because they like to be scared. Mm-hmm. What's the body's response when we get scared? The heart beats a little bit faster, our muscles tense up, we shortness of breath. We go to horror movies because we like to be scared. But we don't see it as anxiety. We don't see it as fun. If we look at Christmas, so that that peace in the morning before we get up, is Santa there? Mm-hmm. And you're coming down the stairs and what if he's not there? And what if we scare him off? Or what if he doesn't leave the presents? That's anxiety. Your first kiss, your wedding day, just before the birth of your first child. Mm-hmm. These are all perfectly normal and fun and enjoyable experiences of anxiety. Roller coasters in Tato Park. You see someone queuing up for it, their legs are shaking, they're holding onto the bar for dear life, they're screaming, their heart is pounding. They come off and they get back on again Yeah, because it's fun. So again, it's about how we look at that emotion and that lens of anxiety and make sure that we're not pathologizing something that we shouldn't. When should uh, parents begin paying attention to this? The main thing with paying attention to it is when it starts to interfere with everyday life. Mm. So when they don't want to go on a sleepover or more commonly, as, as I'm f- starting to find in my work, is where they won't go to school. And, and we see a term, certainly I see a term used a lot about school refusal and it really frustrates me mm-hmm. because for these kids, it, it gives the impression that they're being bold. It's a behaviour. I'm refusing to go to school, which is very, very different from I'm absolutely terrified to go. Mm-hmm. It's a scary place. <laughs> Because something could really badly go wrong and I won't know what to do and I'll be there and I'll feel vulnerable. So if they stop, you know, going to school or significant resistance, if they stop playing football or going to ballet or going to dance, they won't go on sleepovers. Mum and dad can't go out for a night out because no, don't leave me with the babysitter. Mm -hmm. So it interferes in everyday things that they would normally do over a period of time. So again, there will always be an isolated incident where they get a little bit panicky over one particular thing. We don't need to worry about that. But if we see a pattern over time and are pulling away from things, avoidance is the key thing. And for a parent, we have to sit back and say, is this a justified avoidance or is this unjustified? And for most kids, it's going to be unjustified why they need to avoid school. School is not a dangerous place. Mm. Yes, there's going to be some anxiety around tests, but fitting in, that's a normal anxiety. How do you coax that out of your kid? Well, it's also even the expectation that we need to get it out of them. Mm. It's okay that we know. So part of the difficulty you were saying earlier on about parents and emotions and kids is parents lose confidence in their ability to parent. Mm. So if we bring it back to when when we've got babies, okay, so babies can't talk, they can't communicate Mm. with us beyond noises. So when you've got your first child there and they're crying, you don't know, is it colic? Is it wind? Have they a poo coming? Are they hungry? Are they tired? We don't know. Mm. But as parents, we do a best guesstimate as to what we think is going on and we trust our instincts and we go with it and they're okay. And I say this to the parents, with a 10-year-old in front of me, you have got this child to age 10, they've got an education, they've been well looked after and now because they get a little bit distressed, you suddenly doubt your ability to know what's the right thing to do. So parents need to trust themselves more. So for the vast majority, you know, if I was trying to pull a sickie when I was younger, my mum would go, I know you're messing, get out. You're grand. You weren't as talented as me. <laughs> I probably, not, maybe not a politicians, I wasn't. I'm telling you. But parents know when they're genuinely yes, sick yeah. and when they're not. And they can acknowledge the distress and say, look, I can see you're a bit upset. I know you really don't want to go to school, but it is the best thing to do today. So it is important to validate the emotion mm. the child is feeling. Not to dismiss it and say, that's silly, that's stupid. Then they're not going to tell us stuff. Yeah. If they think that we can't recognise and connect with what they're feeling, I'm going to stop telling you. 
are there techniques that work to help children with with anxiety? There are techniques that work with, with, with all of with us. Everybody with everybody. With all of us. Um, the main thing is that analogies and, and metaphors work mm. really well when I, when I do that with it. So kids can identify with them. So when I give these talks in schools, we're growing up with a generation of kids who, who communicate through pictures mm. on Snapchat, on Instagram. So when I give these talks in schools, 95% of the contact is pictures yeah. because they can remember it. So I will often show them a picture of a guy standing in the sea and he's got his arms out. So again, we need to talk about emotions. So emotions are like the sea. It is going to be constant. And if you think you're going to stop anxiety, it's the equivalent of putting your arms out in the sea thinking you're going to stop the waves. It gives you something to do, mm-hmm. but it doesn't stop them. So when we go into the sea and we're standing there, pick any beach you want, 95% of the waves that are going to come in will come into your ankles, they'll tickle by, and then they'll go back out again. And we don't notice them. We don't, mm-hmm. And that's what anxiety and emotions are like. Every now and again, something bad is going to happen. That's going to make us feel a bit panicky. It'll knock the wind out of us a little bit and the wave will pass again. Even less likely, once, twice a year, we get a massive big storm. That wave hits us and it bloody hurts. Mm. It really hurts. And then the wave passes. So the most important lesson that a young person can see is that even when I'm experiencing this emotion, it will pass. And I have this conversation with them when they come to see me. I say, I can absolutely bet my mortgage with you that anxiety will pass. And they look at me like, I'm you can't guarantee it. I can mm. So tell me what the last time you had a really bad panic attack and it could have been the previous Sunday and they were really distressed, really panicky. Said, okay, are you that panicky right now? And then the penny drops and they go, no. Oh yeah. So again, we need to instill the confidence that when anxiety builds and builds, it's not going to last forever. Yes, it is unpleasant as we're waiting for it to subside, but it will subside. Does that work with everybody? It depends on the age. Mm. So the younger the child, the more the work I would do with the parents. Yeah. So from maybe... 9, 10 onwards, yes, the, the young person can take that on board and they can generalise it. At a younger age, what you're expecting to do is come in, listen to a stranger they've never met before, yeah. take it on board and then put it into practice in the real world. It's too much to expect them to do it. So it is important with the younger the child, the more have the parent to support them in that situation. Certainly with adolescents and adults, yes, they can take it on board mm. and, and put those things into practice. Put what things into practice? So understanding the emotions, understanding that it's normal. Again, it's coming back to understanding the lens, Mm -hmm. understanding that when we have that physiological symptom, that it's not always a sign of danger. So being able to differentiate. So again, I would ask the question of if I could reach inside your head and flick a switch so you never had to feel anxious again, would you let me? And 40, 50 percent of people I meet would say yes. Mm. And again, okay, but what about this situation? So I'll talk to them about roller coasters. I'll talk to them about the first kiss or I'll talk to them about walking down the street and you hear a noise behind you. And you look around and it's a guy with a balaclava and a knife. So if you've got no anxiety, you look and you go, oh, that's, that's, that's a nice hoodie. Where's that from? Mm. If you've got anxiety, you look and you go, oh, crap. And you run like hell and you get out of there. Yeah. So again, that it's, a, it's something that we need. But also anxiety isn't optional. So the, with teenagers and adults, I use this analogy now with small kids. Um, but if you walk into your favorite pub, okay, and you walk in and you like beer and you've got six taps in front of you, you look at them and you go, do you know what? I'm going to pick this tap and I'm going to, Pour my pint and you can control the flow of it. Mm-hmm. With emotions, there's one tap. So when we open that tap, we let all emotions out. So happiness, anger, sadness, frustration, they all come together as one package. Mm-hmm. So again, I'm trying to normalize with young people that anxiety is part of our human experience rather than something unique and pathological all the time. So I need to make it less less scary. That they So essentially, if we look at any of the anxiety difficulties that people experience, be that social anxiety or separation anxiety or OCD or any of the, within that family, 
what they all have in common is that the person really struggles with being afraid of being afraid. Mm. That's what they all have in common. So it's about assisting the person to become afraid and not avoid it. Is there any point in trying to use distraction techniques or is it just they're going to be distracted for a short period of time and then when they come back, the anxiety is going to be there? At at times, yes. Mm. But what's really important is that you don't over rely on any one technique. Mm -hmm. So distraction will work maybe in a moment to get you through it, but it's not always going to work. So if we want to conquer a particular anxiety, we use a thing called graded exposure. And what that means is helping the person to become anxious while being exposed to the thing that they're afraid of. Mm-hmm. So that could be, if we take an example of heights, okay, it might be that, look, I'm afraid to go up on, on the lift to the first floor. So we take the lift up to the first floor and that's as far as we go. We don't go any further. Mm-hmm. The person will get anxious and we help them in that moment to see that, okay, I'm anxious, it passed. And the, the single most important thing with their cognitive piece is they see that the worst thing didn't happen. Mm-hmm. So they could have this fear of, it's going to crash. I'm going to get stuck in it. It'll need a fire brigade to get me out. <gasps> What's going to happen? I'll be trapped here forever and you know, it'll have to feed me through gaps. So you support them through that situation. Say, look, I can see what you mean. It could happen. Highly unlikely. Yeah. And I'll, I'll have the fire brigade on standby just in case. Mm-hmm. You get to the first floor and, and the anxiety reduces. Then you aim for the second floor, the third floor. So you're trying to consistently increase the person's anxiety so they become more confident in managing it. Because what happens is when we get really, really anxious and it becomes a problem, we bury it, we run away from it. So we have no confidence that we can actually manage the emotion. So I need, and psychologists, we work with people to help them to become more anxious. This is a normal part of everyday life and mm. most people don't need to see a psychologist. They go through the anxiousness as a child and as an adult, you'll still go through it as well. When does it get to a stage where you do need to see a psychologist? I think there's there's kind of layers to that in terms of where you see the psychologist. So for mm. most people, a bit of education around it. So they'll go to a website, they'll read a self-help book, they'll get some sense of understanding and they go, oh, okay, I, that makes sense. I know what to do. Mm-hmm. If it's starting to have kind of a, a little bit of an effect on your life and it's starting to bother you, you're starting to think about it a little bit, you could do work with a psychologist privately through the PSI Find a Psychologist or say primary care services where you might only need four to six sessions of just a bit of psychoeducation helps you to understand it, helps you what to do in a situation and you can apply it. Mm-hmm. In much smaller situations, you might need support of CAMS, so Child and Adolescent Mental Health Services. And that's really where the anxiety has taken hold of your life, where you're missing out on school, you haven't been maybe in a couple of months, where you're not mixing with friends, you're not leaving your room. And then you would have a team of people working with you. But really what we want to do is we want to get to people early. When anxiety becomes an issue, is getting that help early, be that education, talking to a, a one good adult. It doesn't necessarily always need to be a psychologist. Yeah. And certainly when, when I work with parents, one of the things I will tell them is, look, I'm good, but I'm not that good that I can make massive difference to a child's life in 40, 50 minutes. Yeah. But if I provide you as a parents with the tools to support them when they get anxious, it will have much more of an impact than anything I can ever say or do. So it's again empowering people to have hope that things will work, things can improve. And again, I would say to them that, look, I've had 17 years of doing this. And if all the people that I met who really struggled with anxiety never improved, my case would be thousands. But yet people do. And, and when they put these things into practice, it's so important to have hope. And you'll find the websites for those organisations at the end of the podcast. Mark Smith from the Psychological Society of Ireland. I think we've learned an awful lot. Thank you very much for your time. Uh, That was the Psychological Society of Ireland, the PSI podcast. And we'll see you next time. For more information, see psychologicalsociety.ie and yourmentalhealth.ie.